Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. This week, as we try to make sense of what is happening in the country, we acknowledge that it can be hard to listen to people with whom we disagree. But we know that listening is the first step to better understanding the beliefs that motivate and inform the behavior, especially of those we do not understand. And that includes people of faith who believe their religious freedoms are being oppressed by the government, that restrictions on indoor gatherings to prevent the spread of COVID are not legitimate, but rather part of an agenda to curb religious practice. It's not a point of view we often hear on this program. So in November, when Tracy Simmons, an award-winning religion reporter and journalism professor, reached out with this story, it caught our attention. Since 1990, the United States Census Bureau has reported that Idaho is one of the fastest-growing states in the country. The reasons or motives for that trend most often documented are affordable housing. But political culture, it turns out, may also be a factor. Gallup research shows that in 2018, Idaho was one of 19 states rated as highly conservative, meaning it has more conservatives than liberals by at least 20 percentage points. Tracy Simmons reports about a new wave of transplants, conservative Christians leaving neighboring states in search of a different kind of freedom, where communities can ignore public health directives with impunity. She brings us the story. Pastor Dan Hegelin opened his non-denominational church in Tacoma, Washington, only about six months before COVID-19 struck. After having to move worship services online and frustrated by Washington State's strict COVID and masking guidelines, he closed his church and moved his family to nearby Idaho, where there's religious freedom, he says. His family includes his mother, 80-year-old evangelist Linda Meisner, known for her work witnessing to gangs in New York City with David Wilkerson back in the 1980s. If you've read The Cross and the Switchblade, her name may sound familiar. Together, the mother and son are doing street evangelism in Spokane, Washington, only about 30 minutes from their home in Post Falls, Idaho. Linda is working on opening Jesus People Coffee House in downtown Spokane, while Dan, a renowned vocal coach and choir director, is starting to lead gospel choirs in Idaho. Our God, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with ways. The power and love our God is an Dan was born in Europe and traveled throughout the country for his work as a choir director and Christian activist. He was most recently living in Sweden before moving to the U.S. a few years ago. You kind of left that in search <laughs> I left, of I left America. Sweden, <laughs> which is a centralized oppress you know i mean this is just an interpretation not objective Mm -hmm. i mean i know friends who love it but from my experience Mm -hmm. it feels very oppressive when you're not in charge of your own life and when people tell you what you can do you know where you can go and all those things so i left that to come to the u.s (laughs) to pursue you know the land of the free and and liberty and and freedom of religion and all of these things that are promised us through the constitution. So for me, 2020 was maybe I wouldn't go as far as to say traumatic, but it was really, really difficult to, to see America to go the way of, let's say 
China or something like that, like move in a totalitarian regime. Our wonderful Governor Inslee and all the mayors and so on decided to shut down everything and for practical purposes shut down the churches. Small churches like ours didn't have the resources to follow all the dozens of regulations that you had to follow if you wanted to open. So for practical purposes, we were shut down. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think most churches or a lot of churches, if they would have known that they were planning to shut us down basically permanently, we would have never gone along with it. But that wasn't how it was introduced. It was introduced, uh, we need to shut down for a couple of weeks just so we won't uh, be a burden on the hospitals. This was, this was how it was sold to us. So logically, I'm thinking, because, I mean, the Bible does talk about, uh, you know, that you listen to public officials and things like that. And so then I'm thinking, well, that doesn't seem like a very big sacrifice. We can close down for three weeks and, and help out the hospitals. We'll just meet on Zoom. It's a great opportunity to learn how to use this technology that I, <laughs> that I haven't been using. But then, After you know, that. the story just kept changing. And I mean, the rest is history, as they say. The three weeks turned into three months. Yeah. And who knows, maybe the three months will turn into three years. Who knows? But it turns out that it wasn't really about helping out the hospitals. It was about something else. When you have to just trust blindly what the media is saying, that makes it harder. Because if I was seeing people dying like flies in the streets, I'd probably be willing to do anything, right? But I have no personal experience of this COVID thing existing. I only have it based on what the media is telling me. What I mean by that is I have a huge social network, hundreds of friends. Me too. I don't know a single person who is affected by this in a severe manner from hundreds of people. Yet the media makes it sound like people are dying like flies, like it's, you know, the black death and, and just... The hospitals are overfilled and then, you know, every other person is dying. It's like, wait, I don't understand. I know, let's say I know a hundred people personally and none of them are affected. And I ask them, do you know someone who's affected? And everyone says they don't know anyone who's affected. That makes it harder when it's like you're being told to give away your liberties that are guaranteed by the Constitution because of a threat that you cannot observe. I mean, the only way it's observable is people wearing masks or shops being closed, but it's not observable in, in that, oh, I lost someone. Oh, my cousin died. Oh, my best friend has a friend who died. No, it's not observable in that manner. I felt very confident that Inslee would win again. And Inslee has just gotten it into his mind that COVID is like the most dangerous thing ever to, to exist. And so I just felt there's no guarantee that he's going to open up in a few weeks or a few months or even in a few years. There's a reason to leaving Washington and then there's a reason to coming to Idaho. So, so let's start with leaving Washington. Number one, just discerning, judging that we would not be able to open up our church. Or anything that I do for a living. Choirs. I've been a choir director for 30 years. I can't start choirs. I can't do concerts. No, I do concerts. No singing allowed. So so all the things we want to do, the coffee house, we could we would not be able to do any of those there. 
And reason number two, I would say, is the quote-unquote culture revolution that I just described. The feeling that you are not free to be who you are. You feel like you're living in a society where you're being watched. That's not an American thing. Now, why Idaho? We had heard good things about Idaho, so we tried it out for a week during the summer. We went for a vacation in Coeur d'Alene. There wasn't a single sign on the freeway <laughs> telling you, stay home, you know, don't go out, you know, you could possibly die or whatever. I mean, in Washington, every other sign on the road is telling you that, you know, you're living under some horrible condition. There wasn't a single sign in Idaho telling us to be very afraid. People weren't wearing masks. Stores were open. Restaurants were open. People were on the beach, sunbathing and swimming. Everything felt free. When I have to weigh freedom with a minute risk towards, <laughs> against complete lockdown, you know, I prefer the freedom. I'm not saying there's absolutely no risk going about your life as usual. But you have to keep in mind that 3 million people die every year without COVID. I'm not saying 200,000 isn't a lot of people, but we shouldn't pretend like before COVID didn't die. No, 3 million people die every year. That's part of human life. Birth, death, birth, death. I think President Donald Trump said we can't have the solution be worse than the problem. Mm -hmm. And I definitely feel that in Washington state, the solution is worse than the problem. And here in Idaho, you feel free and you're not afraid to wave an American flag or to say, you know, to say, I like President Donald Trump. Um, so let me ask you kind of a hard question. Yeah. Do you feel like you kind of abandoned your flock in Tacoma? Um, I try to not regret things that I can't control. So I don't feel like I've abandoned them. No, I just feel like 2020 has been a remarkable year. I am not able to do those choirs. Even if I did stay, I would not be able to do the choirs. It wouldn't change anything. It would just be me there feeling sorry that I couldn't do the choirs, but I can't do the choirs there. The same with the coffee can't house the or with coffee the church and so on. And another thing about law and order, what you'll see here in, in Idaho, big signs saying, you, you know, you absolutely have to wear masks, if you know, coming in and coming out. And then you see, you know, 95% of people ignoring it, including myself, <laughs> myself and, and our kids ignoring it. And I don't really like that. I mean, I would like to raise my children to obey the rules and I find it really frustrating that I'm actually having to teach my children to disobey rules if you know what I mean I mean what are we teaching our society in 2020 I feel like we are teaching our society to break the rules because the rules are arguably unjust and unfair and go against other rules. I mean, they go against the Constitution, some would argue. It's not that you see there's any harm in wearing a mask. It's just that you feel like you're being told blindly to do it without justification. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I do feel there's harm 
in wearing the mask. Mm -hmm. Psychological harm. You know, it's no, yeah, I don't think it's any health. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm not afraid to wear a mask, but I do feel, first of all, I get, if I wear that mask and when I was in that surrounding in Washington, I was getting panic attacks. So was my wife. What is it doing to us as a society? Where is it taking us as a society? And how does it harmonize with our rights guaranteed by the constitution? I feel prior to 2020, I have obeyed all rules and regulations always and 2020 just has lowered large chunk of the population their trust in law order and institutions although dan and linda are now living in the gem state they're still ministering in nearby washington it's like a mission field <laughs> well i mean it is because i mean basically here it feels more like peace and tranquility but you go to Spokane and you see an, an imminent need. Yeah, but I met a few of my friends that I had known, and they began to tell me about the situation in Spokane. What I heard was very serious. What situation? You mean drugs? and uh, Exactly. And uh, I went down myself to check it out, and I got really heartbroken. There were so many young people downtown Spokane on meth and on heroin. I walked down the alley, I saw the needles, and I, I saw uh, evidence of other drug use, homeless runaways, just hanging around all downtown, and homeless everywhere. My friend brought me to the Mosaic Center there, and I was talking to him when the pastor just happened to walk through, and uh, the pastor spoke right up, well, we have this whole building, and there'd be space here for you guys. And they have a church in there. They have a, a celebration recovery there, just packed with broken people. And uh, and they have the Youth of Christ there. He showed me the location. It's a great location, right in the middle of the devil's headquarters. So let me ask you both, as Christians and mm -hmm. as Christian leaders, um, what is your prayer for our country? Because there is this division, and well, you see it night and day, just at this border, right? Yeah. Just a few miles over, stark difference. How do we kind of start to unify? Repent of their sins and turn from their wicked way and seek my face. That's Second Chronicles, Chronicles seven fourteen, maybe, and that has been the prayer. That has been a prayer. I feel it's it's really important in general for us to get back to normal, <laughs> to not to not be in this heavy cloud depression and let it hang over us and the same i feel is true with prayer in my prayer life in that i don't think it's healthy if our prayers have the color and flavor of a heavy cloud or a dark winter as joe biden would say Tracy Simmons spoke with Pastor Dan Hagelin and his mother, evangelist Linda Meisner, in the northern Idaho town of Post Falls. They attend a megachurch nearby while traveling back across the border to run their new ministry, Jesus People Coffee House. Their conversation took place in mid-November. 
I want to note that we did reach out to Pastor Dan through Simmons to ask if he had any comments or statements to share in response to President Trump's supporters forming a mob and storming the Capitol on January 6th. He relayed through Simmons that he did not. Coming up, my conversation with Tracy Simmons about the reaction to her story and the challenges of covering a movement of people who are deeply suspicious of the media. 